The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at TNTradio.live. Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Jim Warfare at TNTradio.live. It's my email address. Thank you uh, for, for all the emails that I receive. Particular thank you uh, to those who um, tell me where they are located geographically. I love that part. Love knowing where people are listening from. Jump into the live chat. Say hi if you are in the live chat. Uh, it's always it's always great to see activity. Nice to know that we aren't speaking into the void. And uh, tell your friends to watch TNT Radio. It's now 24 hours video live streaming. All the information's on the website, tntradio.live. I think it's on both Rumble and YouTube. I've seen it on both and they both stream very, very smoothly, but I suspect YouTube will probably flag TNT at some point because of the conversations that we were having. Nevertheless, my name is Jim. This is Jim Warfare, the battle of ideas. Giving you what you want. I want the fact. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. My good friend, Nick Hudson, thank you for joining me in the trenches. Hello, Jim. How are you? Hey, it's December. I'm in a good mood, aren't you? Yeah, looking forward to getting out of here. Summertime. <laughs> it's Nick, it's that time of the year where everybody sends out emails and uh, you see signs in the shop windows where people say festive season because they're too scared to say Christmas. Yes, I know. It's, just, it's a disgrace. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be I'm gonna be one of those I'm gonna be one of those who goes against the grain and I'm gonna say Christmas and not festive season. <laughs> no, I don't do festive season. I mean I've obviously be sensitive about it when it comes to people of other faiths and so on, but uh Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> we are talking uh about the left-right dichotomy. Now, this is a conversation, Nick, that you know you and I have had previously. Um I've suggested that a case can be made but i am fairly persuaded by your argument so uh what's your your starting point um well my starting point is probably where i know you would start which is let's look at the french revolution right i mean why don't you tell me what you know about the left right story as it pertains to the french revolution and how this practice came about and then then i will tell you what i witnessed in uh uh, Bucharest when I was at the Romanian parliament a couple of days ago um, and we can compare notes. <laughs> well, look, I think it's a fairly redundant dichotomy. I mean, it's old now. It's outdated. It's a few hundred years old. It goes basically back to uh, the the parliamentary sessions, you know, in France uh, where, where literally those who were sitting to the left wanted to uh, basically overthrow the, um, the established system of the time and those sitting to the right wanted to preserve it. I mean, things have changed a lot since then, though. Yeah, so, but I want to point something out about that setting that makes it different from today. At that point, the revolutionaries were the people who wanted to be liberalizing the country. So they didn't want an authoritarian government. So they were anti-authoritarian revolutionaries. And the people on the right were conservative authoritarians. And what's happened now, and, and, you know, while those two uh, features 
conservatism and authoritarianism were traveling together, this kind of construct of the right made sense. But today, what's happened is those two axes have flipped. And yeah. it is the, um, the, the, the revolutionaries who are authoritarian. They want to impose centralized systems, top-down control, uh, global government, um, lockdowns, mandates, central bank digital currencies, digital IDs, all the authoritarian measures are coming from revolutionary quarters, not the liberal measures. Yeah. So it, if you're a conservative today, what are you conserving? You're trying to conserve a liberal order, an anti-authoritarian order. So things have flipped since the French Revolution. And for that reason, I think this dichotomy is just basically confusing. And it, yes. it's actually it's actually supportive of would-be revolutionaries because the, the, the confusion causes everybody to behave instead of behaving in a politically co coherent fashion. They behave in tribal fashion. So with no consistency, no rhyme or reason, they append various causes to their tribe. And those causes are on the one level like liberal and then on the next issue profoundly illiberal. And, and it's just a mess. We have a complete yeah. mess. So I advocate for the termination of the labels. I don't think they make sense. And I mean, here I am. I'm a person who's basically... I'm a localist, so I believe in community. I believe in um, decentralization and subsidiarity in human agency and free speech. So I'm a liberal, but I'm called alt-right a hundred times a day because I yeah. don't go in for the latest authoritarian, um, you know, circle jerk that's up for grabs in the um, in the crazy world, wacky world of globalism and COVID, COVIDian cultism. Yeah, the whole thing yeah. doesn't make sense. I, I was chatting to a, yeah. um, a friend of mine recently. Um, he lives in the UK. He calls himself a progressive, and so he would he would traditionally fall into a lot of those those left leaning um, ideological positions, which we'll chat about in a moment. Um, no, no, the let's, irony, let's stop though, on progressive. Stop okay. on progressive. That's a word that I think should just be jettisoned. I don't know anybody who doesn't want progress. And yeah. it's kind of a way that it suggests that there are people who don't want progress. A more useful thing to think about is, you know, is really your attitude towards pace of change. If you're a person who has a great deal of respect for complexity, who understands that by modifying complex systems, you are taking risk and that therefore you must take a gradualist approach and that this kind of gradualist approach should count towards ecologies and human bodies and society mm. and institutions. If you're a gradualist in the sense, a small C conservative, you know, then then you, that's not to say you don't want progress. You just differ at, with respect to the way in which progress comes about by big bang changes as a revolutionary would believe, or by gradual changes on the margin, tested over time, uh, reversible, if you if that's how you believe progress comes about, then you're a conservative. So the term progressive is really just a nonsense term. Nobody's a progressive, or, no, or rather, let everybody's a progressive. Um, so it's, it just doesn't mean anything. Person who defines himself as a progressive is is uh, just saying absolutely nothing about himself. It's it's like saying I like living, you know. Yeah, 
Hey, well, anyway, he said to me that uh, that I'm far right. And I said to him, okay, hold on. What do you mean by that? Like, what is the definition? And then he just kind of trolled me. And I've asked that question so many times to, to anybody, actually, who uses the terminology right-wing or far-right. What does it mean? And not one person ever, 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 ever has been able to answer that. Yeah, it's, it's not surprising because I think often it's just an epithet hurl that anybody who's against the, the sort of authoritarian order. Um, mm. And it's, I mean, I, I yeah, for me to have been called alt-right, just, you know, the, the biggest belief. Um, yeah. I don't, there, there's not a single position that I hold that could reasonably be described as, as right-wing. Um, no, but, okay, but hold on, hold on, hold on. But now you just said the labels don't matter. So if you say you don't hold the position that is right-wing, what then would a right-wing position be? Well, in the conventional French Revolution sense of the term, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a conservative of authoritarian complexes. I'm a liberal. I'll conserve liberal values. Um, so it, I just the left-right dichotomy just makes no sense to me. Um, it stopped making sense when, when the order that replaced the authoritarian order was a liberal one. That's when left-right stopped making sense. In other words, you know, call it 200 years ago. And so we need, you need, we need people to, we need to force a language out here that describes the dichotomy correctly. Are you a centralist? Because all centralists are authoritarians. Are you a centralizer? Do you believe in global government? Do you believe in larger government? Do you believe in... Um, uh, global vaccine passports and global this and that? Uh, do you believe in central bank digital currencies? Are these your positions? Are those the things you want? Are you a centralist? Well, then you're an authoritarian because the only way those things come about is if you eliminate human freedom, freedom of opinion, freedom of expression, um, and if you eliminate progress, by the way, as well, because centralism is incompatible with progress. So so you, you want people to actually say what they believe, you know? Uh, that yes, yeah. I believe we ought to be thinking. Yeah. And I think I think even the term left wing, but okay, but so here's the thing, Nick. Yeah. The terms are fairly meaningless. However, they do add some sort of value because they act as a as a as a marker. For example, if somebody has or had a little Ukrainian emoji in their profile without knowing that yeah. person you could probably make a fairly accurate assessment of where they stand ideologically. Yes, you could probably guess their stance with respect to wearing masks, and uh, mm. but it wouldn't be foolproof, right? Um, I, I kind of, I have met a few people who are sort of fairly moderate when it comes to a whole variety of issues and then went bananas on Ukraine because they decided that their computer had once been hacked by a Russian, you know. Um, people are often very parochial in their reasons for picking a side on things. And, but I think by and large, you're right. You can, by knowing what somebody thinks about one uh, particular issue, Ukraine and Russia, for example, you can predict 10 other issues, where they will be on climate, where they will be on COVID. Um, but I don't think that that's def a good reason to continue to use the terms because that kind of clustering tribal behavior where there's a a sort of 
designated view on multiple issues that everybody who's a member of the tribe has to adhere to is, mm. I think, brought about by the confusion confusion created by the left-right, this false left-right dichotomy. Yeah, and the other thing also is that um, it, it creates a very deliberate division between people. Yeah. So, the, look, the one, the, and this is something I really hate, is this term libertad that gets thrown around. Because what happens <laughs> yeah. is in America, by some, by, by some incredible perversion of the English language, people who are in favor of, you know, communist systems and in favor of the most draconian authoritarian systems, people who are in favor of fascist systems, are suddenly labeled as liberals. And it's, it's like it's like a complete perversion of English. There's nothing liberal about mm. these people. And you do discredit to both. both you, you obscure the real nature of what they're doing. And you discredit the word liberal um, when you use that term. And, and they always say, yeah. oh, no, but we talk about classical liberals and all that. No, just stop. Stop using the term liberal to describe the, a debate that's going on between two factions of an authoritarian movement, the one being communist Marxist-oriented people and the other one being technocratic fascists. You know, th those are the two sort of camps in the authorit authoritarian sect, uh, the globalist sect. And, and we need to, you know, it might be useful to distinguish between the ones who have uh, communist ideology and ones who have fascist ideology, but we must call them by their names. Call them fascists. Don't call them liberals. Fascist tards, Marxist tards, whatever. But don't, you know, <laughs> let's not let's not go to the libtards thing. It, it, just stop doing it. Um, it'll, it. When you own the term yourself, when you realize that your values are actually the liberal ones and you own the term, that then they will be forced into a little bit of honesty and reckoning. It's inverted. Yeah. Just say I'm a conservative liberal, and then they ask you the question, <laughs> "How can you be?" You know, because that confuses them. And you say, "Well, conservatism <laughs> is the opposite of revolutionary, and 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 liberal is the opposite of authoritarian." I'm not an authoritarian, and I'm not a revolutionary. I try to preserve the liberal yeah. aspects of our society, and then that confuses the hell out of them. Oh, okay, he's a conservative liberal. Okay, so it just blows that whole dichotomy up, and mm. um, that. Yeah, so I, I do push for people to use that term. Look, there there is a critique of the sort of what people some critics on our side of the the fence sometimes call the the neoliberal um, or Neocon. or humanist uh, trajectory, and we can talk about that because that does have its discontents. Mm. The the sort of it's associated with secularization. And, and atomistic individualization. And I don't think either of those is a good thing. But I can marry I like to, those things into yes. my philosophy. Yeah. I like to confuse people by saying I'm an anarchist monarchist. <laughs> that, well, <laughs> you'd have to explain that one to me, Jim. How does that one go? I, uh, I oppose the state unless I am the state. Uh, see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Nick Hudson, I'll be back with you shortly. My name is Jim. This is TNT Radio. You should hear what Charlie Robinson is talking about. I think once we saw the supply chain issues uh, that happened during the COVID debacle, you go, well, that seems bad for the, you know, when you're fighting somebody for toilet paper, but it could be worse, right? It could be the last can of food. So people are starting to reevaluate and reassess their situations and their relationship with supply chains and the like. And I think what that does is it leads you to a place of saying, how can I make myself less dependent on the system? It's kind of hard to know where to start, right? Where would you suggest we even begin with this process? Yeah, it's funny you said that because someone said to me recently and it made me laugh that this is going to be the kind of collapse where the Burger King's still open. I think that's what's probably lulling people into a false sense of security in that everything when we go to the city kind of appears normal unless you're in one of those really crazy drug adult cities. But for most people, I would say, Charlie, it feels normal, but it ain't normal. (laughs) The world is not normal. It's completely gone off kilter. Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. When a crisis hits close to home and across the globe, nonprofits are on the front lines ready to serve. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. The demand for charitable services has skyrocketed, and nonprofits are rising to meet the needs. Healing, nurturing, rescuing, honoring. Protecting. Caring. Inspiring. The work of philanthropic organizations of all sizes, across all missions, has never been more important. And it's donors and volunteers like you who make all this possible. Thank you. Together, we change the world. The Nonprofit Alliance. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Nick, before we segue into your recent trip, we're talking about a left-right dichotomy terminology being a bit pointless. Does the same thing, in your view, apply to liberal and conservative, for example? As a term, these are terms that are always used, and they also are used yes, interchangeably. Yeah, they're, they're not opposites. Uh, it makes no sense to say well, if you're not a liberal, then you must be a conservative. Um, the opposite of a conservative is a revolutionary. It's to do with passive change and a posture towards complexity, recognition that complex systems are, uh, you know, must evolve, uh, that, that they can't be changed by design. Um, whereas, you know, utilitarians and Marxists and socialists and centralizers and globalists of all flavors believe that they're smart enough to control complex systems. That's their sort of conceit. Um, mm. And I always maintain that it takes, it, it's, there's really a, an intelligence test going on there because it's only stupid people who think that they can control complex systems. So, so yeah, I, I regard uh, a, a person who's, you know, in favor of just making sweeping changes to, to society or to ecologies, um, or to or to human bodies, um, mm. as it's a sort of species of stupidity. Um, it it isn't really even worth talking about uh, from a you know a political spectrum point of view. Um, that that revolutionary ideal makes sense when when you're living under some kind of oppressive regime, 
that needs to be overthrown um, when you're under the whip of centralization and uh, uh, authoritarian society. Uh, then it makes sense. But like as a general posture, as a general posture, you don't want step changes being made in complex systems. You want gradual approaches. Um, and the opposite of liberal is authoritarian. It's not conservative. Um, mm. You either believe freedom or you do not. You were recently in Romania, and uh, when I messaged you, I asked you, what's it like there? And your response was, based. <laughs> yes, there was, I, I enjoyed my time there. It was, it was a very surprising, surprising place. Um, I didn't know much about it. I'd done a little bit of reading on my way there, basically. Uh, this little, the trip came upon me very, very suddenly. Now, the first thing I'll observe just before I get into the, the things that surprised me is um, in the, in the, they've got this amazing building, uh, the third most massive structure on Earth, man-made structure on Earth. Um, called, that's their palace of the, of the parliament. Uh, this is a project launched by the crazy dictator Nicola, uh, Nicola, Nicola Ceausescu, um, who was deposed and summarily tried and executed in 1989 in what I understood to have been a popular revolution. Um, so, you know, little old Nick rocks up in Romania all ready to talk to people and engage with them. What's life been like since the revolution, you know? And they were, and they all, everybody turns around and says, what are you talking about the revolution? That was the CIA. They came in and organized a coup and they kicked the guy out and then <laughs> everybody just shoots him. And there was a 2000 people demonstration going on somewhere down the street. And those guys got the credit for the revolution. You know, that, that kind of story. Now I'm caricaturing it a little bit and I don't know the details. But basically, their view is that oh no, don't don't be silly. There wasn't like a Romanian People's Revolution. Um, it was just a decision by uh, the powers that be, the establishment uh, globalists, to that they'd had enough of this guy. The opportunity existed to to displace him in the weakening days of the Soviet Empire, and um, and so they did. Um, so that was that was kind of interesting the the different understanding of their own history than than what I'd had. Um, then the other thing that's oh sorry. So this in this parliament building, you've got uh, this enormous floor, and they actually still seat the political parties according to where they are on a left right spectrum, and it seems to make sense to them. But when I started asking questions, everybody's like, really? oh, yeah, that really makes sense, you know? Yeah, so the, the sure. with respect to a person standing on the stage, as you look forward, the conceived of as left people are on the left-hand side and the conceived of as right people are on the right-hand side. And then they've got another space further right wow. for the extreme right. And I said, oh, what do the extreme right people believe in? And they believe our freedom of speech. You know, um, this is kind of the first thing that they say. Um, extreme right. Extreme right. Extreme right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, then, uh, then the other, there are a couple of other features. Like, wow, you, you know, we, you realize that they get to different problems in different ways. The birth rate has been below two point one, which is the replacement rate, the fertility rate. Okay, so you need to have two point one children per woman to preserve the size of your ethnic population. You know, that's the replacement rate. Their birth rate has been below one, below two point one, 
since the 1980s. Gee. And it's currently at around 1.7, 1.8, thereabouts. So it's, that's quite a big deficit relative to 2.1. To put that into context, I think the lowest place in the world, like if you look at a reasonable period of time, not just yesterday in Gaza, you know, where there are not too many babies um, being made, but um, the uh, the birth rate in the, 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 sorry, the fertility rate in Italy and Spain has flirted with levels like 1.1 and 1.3 res- respectively. So that's that's about as low as it goes. Um, and if your if your if your replace if your fertility rate is one point one, your ethnic population will halve every generation. So wow. your grandchildren will live in a country that has a quarter one quarter as many citizens as you as you you lived with. Okay. So, so these are these are dramatic effects. So, at one point yeah. seven, for example, after two generations, the population will have, yeah, gone down by forty percent or something like that, forty five percent, something something of that in that region. So, these are quite extreme differences. Um, but the strange thing there is, I've heard about this in Albania that Albanian women don't seem to want to date Albanian men, and they're always looking for foreign guys and. A lot of Albanian men have emigrated as a result, and they put pressure on cities elsewhere in the world. And that, that in, in a variety of ways, it's become difficult for um, young men to establish themselves in society, to find uh, a, a job and a, a re- put a roof over their heads and to find a wife. Um, but it was quite interesting to see that also being a feature there. It was just... Um, so all the signs of of young men adrift were very evident. Lots and lots of strip clubs, lots and lots of massage parlors, very few couples going out. Yeah. You just, yeah. Don't, just hardly see it. And then loads of attention for any half, um, you know, anybody who doesn't look like a complete ogre uh, coming in from another country gets lots of attention from Romanian girls. So there's something going wrong there. And and it's strange for me that other places, I've heard the same story from other places in the Balkans. That surprised me. But Jim, when you ask the people there, what do they think of the the various flavors of craziness, the wokeness, the the climate change crisis, the COVIDian cultism, uh, um, all of this uh, European Union nonsense there, they're they're like so over that they 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 laugh. They think it's very funny that mm. people in America and in England are upset about this stuff. They really think it's amusing, and and so now, that's a yeah. No, well, what's interesting now is that the the legacy left position, for what it's worth, generally would favor what you're talking about. Let's bring in more immigrants. You know, let's 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 wipe out the local population and um, and basically change the entire uh, uh, aesthetic of Romania. And this seems to spread right across Europe. This particular idea. I mean, we know Douglas Murray has written about it. Yes, yes. Uh, displacement of ethnic culture. Mm. It's definitely well. It's definitely a centralist agenda. Uh, it's a globalist agenda. And what's rather strange yeah. is that. Um, you know, because it's not true that 
that all left movements favored this. I mean, if you looked at the, the Chinese um, under, under Mao, there was an incredible Han um, centrism. And yeah. a kind of, even on, it extends into the times of the current government, you know, where, where other minorities, the Tibetans, the um, Uyghurs and so on, have a very hard time there because they're, they're not accepted. So it's not a, it's not a, again. That's a it's a good example actually of an incorrect application of left and right. It's got right. nothing to do right. with being. Um, and and again, just you see how it completely confuses the conversation. Um, mm. You know, I, I now regret having used certain words. Uh, I would prefer to be more precise and locate the problem. What 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 have we got on our hands when it comes to? In all these United Nations organizations, the World Economic Forum, Council for Foreign Relations, Club of Rome, et cetera, et cetera. What, where has this globalist narrative taken us to? Mm. They see the source of evil in the world as diversity. And that's a problem for them. So they create, they actually do this appropriation game. They don't want to see diversity of nations, diversity of cultures, diversity of um, they want of, of kind of um, traditions. They want uniformity, homogeneity. They think that cultural and ethnic differences are the main cause of war. And so they establish the United Nations. All the, all the nations are going to get together and talk nicely to each other. And then they decide that actually, well, you know, what the broader project is, is not going to be the United Nations. It's going to be the United Nation. We're going to extem yeah. exterminate the nation concept, you know. Just kind of what their position is. Um, mm. Now, now that's that comes from a great source of confusion, which is this idea that homogenization and centralization are, are would be a, a an inducement to human flourishing. Um, and I, I think it's a it's a complete nonsense. There's it's the the truth is exactly the opposite. You want to be making if 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 the only way to make progress under conditions of complexity is from a perspective of evolutionary um, conjecture and criticism, then what you want to be doing is encouraging as many different cultures and traditions as possible to form. Yeah. They take hundreds of years to sort of duke it out and work out which system is better and which system is worse. And yes, from time to time, maybe those uh, competition for resources or whatever causes those uh, competing traditions to actually in, indulge in violent conflict. But without, without social and intellectual diversity, I don't believe that there can be social and intellectual progress. Yeah. Just to feed into what you're saying, Nick, um, I've had a number of interviews in which my guest has been a self proclaimed communist or a socialist. And I think the overwhelming majority of the time they have uh, pushed for sovereignty of their own of their own country, for example, which shows that if they are a commie or a left leaning person, traditionally speaking, but are wanting their borders to be tighter, this confuses the story. Yeah, um, I think you and I have spoken about the the scale variance of uh, political yeah. organization and how, um, you know, at home, 
it's completely appropriate to be communist. Everybody yes. in your house should have the same quality medical care, even if you get all the income. Um, and and that at the level of world government, we should all be flaming anarchists. Um, that that's I think that's a very sound way of looking at it. So I don't like, I, yeah, I I, um, I try to push people towards understanding that the first part of political dimension is attitude towards complexity. What's your attitude towards complexity? Because uh, that frames the pace of change story, which is the conservative versus revolutionary story. Then the next one is what's your um, your preferred flavor of uh, of hierarchical architecture? Are you a libertarian, or like me, somewhere in between, a sub subsidiarity guy, uh, or are you at the other end of the scale, a, a hierarchical authoritarian? Yeah, you want one eye to rule them all. Um, that 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 your attitudes towards hierarchy and your attitudes towards complexity kind of are the useful defining characteristics of a person's political outlook. Mm. What's interesting though is that that libertarian mindset um, is so theoretical and so academic that it's not. I have found at least that it's not very practical yes. actually. Yeah, it, it, at best, it's a, the libertarian position is a um, is a kind of toy model um, mm. that helps you to it, it. It you see, it's a kind of useful dichotomy to consider libertarian versus authoritarian um, because it would, it would go from one end of the extreme to the other. Um, you know, I believe that radical atomization um, is is destructive. Yeah. So the the sort of really radical libertarian story is just terrible, as bad as anything else mm. can be. Um, and that this kind of move that they make of saying, oh, but you can still associate voluntarily. No, that's mm. also not really representative or realistic because um, the membership of, of groups of multiple scales, of any scale, entails... Uh, agreement to forego certain rights in exchange for certain benefits and yeah. you there's an, a cost imposed on reneging um and the the question is can we make sure that our uh groups are local enough so that the costs of escaping a system are not so onerous as to make it impossible so can can you make sure that if you don't like the the sort of your local polity, well then you must sell your house in here and move to a different neighborhood. Yeah, you know? yeah. The, the, As the opposed to having with, to uproot yourself and travel halfway around the world. Yeah, and I was going to say the other problem with that sort of libertarian anarchist mindset is that it sees basically seven billion hyper um, atomized individuals, and the reality the is that that's it's mm -hmm. it's just not it's not realistic because i mean yeah. you know we we are social creatures we don't live in isolation yeah so you know the, the, the subsidiarity complex is very important um and i wish more people would look up the term and read up about it um because i think it's really you you can't understand political theory without deep knowledge of that term um I like to ask people, does it make sense for 
you know, repairing the pothole outside of my house to be a project of the United Nations. <laughs> people, you know, people usually can look at that and say, no, absolutely not. Yeah. That's not required. You know, so I say, okay, mm. so you've just acknowledged the importance of subsidiarity, which is the principle that a problem should be solved at the lowest possible level in any hierarchy consistent with the resolution of the, prop the problem. So, in other words, at the level of the neighborhood watch or the municipality might be valid answers for uh, solving the pothole problem in front of my house. And the United Nations is definitely not on the list um, to be this, not allowing me to change, to fix the pothole um, until I've got permission from the United Nations would be a clear, you know, people would look at that and say, well, that's, that's completely bananas. And, you know, what we've done is we've allowed a whole lot of decisions that can quite satisfactorily be taken at a local level to make their way into federal or national um, or even global systems. There's no, there's no reason to have a national educational syllabus. There's no reason to have national healthcare protocols. There's no reason to have national health. It, these, these ideas get fixed at the level of national government without anybody having applied their mind to whether that step of centralization really needed to have taken place. And so for that reason, I'm directionally a libertarian, but I don't get all the way to libertarianism. I stop short. I stop at a, in a position called uh, subsidiarity, um, mm -hmm. where, where we pay attention to trying to get decisions more local but not so local that we are no longer able to make them. Nick Hudson, don't go anywhere. My name is Jim. This is TNT Radio. Deweaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Well, of course, the biggest story in climate right now is Vice President Kamala Harris leaves for the climate conference with the biggest carbon footprint in history. She's heading to Abu Dhabi or whatever for COP28 in Joe's place with hosts under fire for wanting to push oil and gas deals. Do you know why there's so many people there? Because they realize what a scam this is and they're trying to push oil and gas deals. Anyway, she left and there's 400,000 people expected there. Now, do you really believe that there's 400,000 people are all interested in eliminating fossil fuels? I would say there are quite a few of them, given Abu Dhabi is in the Middle East and there's a lot of oil in the Middle East, that are seeking to do business because they know what a scam this is. And let's see, at its head, Sultan Al-Jabbar has denied reports he's using meetings at the summit to make side deals on fossil fuels produced by the United Arab Emirates. I'm sure he's smart enough to probably be doing that. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather, even if we can't go over to Abu Dhabi, because it's the only weather you got. The challenges our planet's animals are facing sometimes feel a bit heavy. The animals haven't eaten in a day, two days, they haven't drank anything, they're cold, they're dehydrated. But remember, there's good happening right now. At home. All right, we were able to get into your unit, and we have all four of your cats. So, uh... <laughs> okay. And around the world for any animal, any disaster. Search ifa.org forward slash disaster ready. Talk that matters. Germ Warfare and Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
Uh, Nick, just before the break, um, you were talking about, well, just actually earlier in the conversation, you're talking about the importance of words. And um, this is very important. I mean, we need to be able to communicate clearly. And I was just saying to you now that globalism and globalization are terms that are used interchangeably, but they do mean different things. Um, I, for example, think that globalism is more to do with governance and sort of political mm. frameworks, while, while globalization is the fact that we have this radio show, we are connected, you know, Alex is sitting in Australia and we're yeah. in South Africa and we're all connected. Uh, that's not really political. No, I, I think that's a, a worthwhile distinction to preserve for the sake of clarity of communication. Uh, I had one pointed out to me earlier today, um, the, the difference, the distinction between hindsight and retrospect. Uh, a lot of people mm. try to accuse me of being right in hindsight, which is <laughs> obviously gets up my nose because I've been shouting about this stuff for three years. Um, but uh, when it comes to the COVID story, right? But um, yeah, I think that's a, a reasonable distinction. Um, I, I think you, you know, just before we, we sign off, um, it may be just interesting to take a look at where we stand right now. What what, you know, what are the big forces that are, are shaping events? Um, there's an there's there's a definite end of empire feel to what's going on. the The unipolar world is kind of doesn't look like it's there anymore. Um, NATO got a bloody nose in Ukraine that. That was that was a war that was lost from early on, and I think that it was perpetuated mainly as a, a way to sell more weapons for the you know military industrial construct. So into the mid grinder went all the the young men of Ukraine, um, and that was horrible to see. But NATO had lost almost the moment Russia crossed that border. It was never there was never any contention there. I think the similar situation is. I worry that a similar situation is brewing in the Middle East right now, where there's an overestimation of abilities amongst the sort of Western, uh, the neocon kind of brigade. That's going to lead to an equally tragic outcome. Um, and what does this all speak of? It speaks of an unwillingness to acknowledge um, the end of an empire, or at least of an an, an empirical phase, uh, you know, maybe a, the a house. Um, at at the same time, we have this will towards a, a global government on a number of levels and across many domains. It's like affects every single major sector and. Um, area of our lives. There's this relentless, inexorable move in certain quarters towards global uh, art architecture of control. And when you when you try and look at these two together and say, well, what's what's happening? Uh, how, how, you know, how's this all going to play out? Um, well, the the air of crisis is abused right to 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 usher in more controls and i think this kind of behavior that you're witnessing end of empire behavior 
is it will tend to create actually some general crisis, some some genuine crises, and not fabricated ones. So I, I'm seeing quite a bleak picture for the short term. I really am, but it's it's so interesting to look at the other power centers that are emerging because it's not the obvious ones, you know. Um, I, I'm not sure that everybody should be saying, oh, well, China's the obvious next power. It's a centralist system too. Without the, uh, the growth of Western countries, it doesn't have growth. Um, and its military is still in its infancy. It's not... They, they haven't got a proper functioning navy yet. They can't project power in the world's oceans. Um, it'll be a long time before they do have one. Um, India, similarly disarray, really, you know, the fragmentation um, of uh, yeah, sort of a, a past system there that's still playing out. Um, and it's a good kind of fragmentation, as much as they're trying hard to reverse it with a guy like Modi in there trying to re-centralize India, if you like. Um, but the, the, the multipolar world that emerges might actually have some medium-term attraction to it. It might be higgledy-piggledy and a little more confusing to analyze and not, not fit as neatly into people's constructs of geopolitics as they, they would like. Um, but I think it, it's, there's quite a lot of promise there. I think, this, I think you're right. Yeah, this, I think you're right, yeah, Nick, and I also think it's a good thing. Country's government, sorry, I talked over you. No, no, no. I was just saying I agree with you and that, I mean, it's a good thing because it's it it allows, in a way, for more competing markets. Yeah, um, I, 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 I think so. And and this the situation at the moment where we don't really, you know, we, we don't really have sovereign independence because we've seen a number of times just how easy it is for a leader to be deposed at the behest of a foreign government. Yes. All these color revolutions that, that happened, um, you know, in places like Ukraine, those are not <coughs> CIA. Efforts at all. Excuse me, I, I had yeah, something stuck in my throat there. Happened, you don't even have to cough. There's nothing conspiratorial about it. It's all out in the open, you know. It's CIA, it's intelligence community driven stuff. Um, there's no, it's not a secret. Yeah, but what what is not common knowledge is what happened in South Africa. You know, when I, it's dressed up as being that Zuma was corrupt and the new guys weren't going to be. Corrupt. Yes, I mean, tell me another one. What a stupid notion that was. Of course, the ANC is corrupt, and of course, Zuma's a rough corrupt, and of course, Ramaphosa is corrupt. No man, the reason they needed to change from one corrupt person to the next corrupt person was because they didn't want anybody building a nuclear power station. Yeah. So we had yeah. a color revolution. No, it's ridiculous. And and the thing is, is that that right there is part of the the, the permanent destabilization of countries everywhere. Yeah. And pe people yeah. need to see it, Nick. Yeah, they need to see it. This is happening everywhere, and it's it's happened on every continent multiple times. Mm. Um, the history of color revolutions is is well worth studying. And you've seen them, I mean, that, okay, so like, for example, the, the Arab Springs, that was also uh, instigated by sort of CIA Western um, interests. Yeah, I, I believe so. Um, 
So yeah, we we we've you've got to sort of. I, people say, oh, but you're gonna, you know, the moment you start talking about these subjects, somebody's gonna call you a conspiracy theorist. Oh, I don't, I don't care. Mm. You know, if they're so if they're so blind that they can't see that in a unipolar world, uh, the the one-eyed man who's king is sorry, I'm mixing my metaphors. But in a unipolar <laughs> world, that the, the polity will, the polity, you know, the dominant polity will will rule the world, will yeah. make decisions, and will try and make you like them for it. That's that's just reality now what's well, interesting yeah. there your overarching comment actually is pointing out the dangers of globalism and that kind of that kind of horseshoes all the way back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show where the left right labels don't really matter because this is actually what's important yeah yeah it's that's why my talk at the Bucharest Parliament, uh, the Romanian Parliament, was about centralization, of which globalism is the most extreme example. I mean, I think mm -hmm. we've got a problem at a national level, let alone at a global level. But uh, yeah, that's why I was speaking about the problem with centralization. The talks available on our on our Substack. Um, it's also uh, there's a video of the talk. Unfortunately, I got rushed at the end because they were uh, as a result of some of the earlier speakers going overtime. I was running out of time. But um, the, the, so for people who don't want to watch that rushed version of the presentation online, they can read it on, on uh, Panda Uncut, our Substack. Um, the, it's a 2,000-word talk, so to, you know, 20 minutes long, um, probably a 10-minute read um, with, but, but with Nick, all the slides I, in the presentation. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of silver linings, so what are they? Yeah, yeah they are. I mean, it, it's... There's a desperation now try, around uh, some of these stories. And, and I think one of the problems with, with these globalist types is they, they tend to not invite people who disagree with them to their meetings, right? So that, they don't get together and, and, and you know, try and uh, hear new ideas. No, they want the people who already believe their ideas. That's, mm. that's their characteristic. Um, so they've grown up in an echo box. The jargon is sort of self-referential. It becomes almost totally disconnected from reality. And then they start believing in concepts that are completely crazy. So you've got one, the world of One Health and the Covidian cult and the, the, the vaccine as God, that world, okay? What the One Health world. And then you've got the climate crisis world. Now, both of these stories are completely bananas, okay? The sort of the, the carbon paranoia and the pathogen paranoia. They, they're for, for crazy people only, okay? But now, it just wait for it. Old John Kerry's out there yesterday saying that we need to recognize the merging of our health concerns with our climate concerns. Yes. <laughs> pathogen paranoia merging with, um, you know, carbon paranoia the singularity um, <laughs> yes it's like a singularity a big banging of the big bang explosion of of intergalactic stupidity um but that can only really come from the mouth of somebody who has been steeped in a jargon filled room completely mm. removed from reality um and i think most people are starting to pick up on that now there are a few diehards on the one subject matter or the other. Um, I, I, I think people are starting to see through it all. 
there's a lot more ridicule. There's a lot more abuse. You want to go onto social media and look at the replies to any of these guys on Twitter. Yes. Or on, yeah. It's, it's, it's hilarious. It's, it's you know, the World Health Organization <laughs> comes out and says, hey, here comes mycoplasma. Everybody hide under the bed. And um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to swear on this show. So, And they're basically every single reply, <laughs> thousands and thousands of replies, invites them to make a sexual departure. <laughs> a sexual departure. I'm going to use that from now on, Nick. <laughs> well, no. Go and sexual de- go and sexually depart. <laughs> yes. uh, um, time is now running against us. So come in, um, come in with your final yeah. thought. Yeah. So okay. So I mean, that's what's happening is people are catching up. Can you push it a little bit up into the corporate sector to stop those guys from? Uh, cooperating with the crazy governments. Yeah, I believe you can. Small and medium enterprises are there long ago. There's not a single uh, respectable entrepreneur out there who believes any of this nonsense, you know, not Mm -hmm. one. It's all oligarchic sort of uh, crazy. It's your your hired hand managers who sit atop large corporations. You wouldn't know an entrepreneur if they, you know, bumped into one in, in, in broad daylight. Um, there's nothing entrepreneurial or commercial about their mindsets. They're essentially politicians in a different, in a tangential space to government, you know, because what's happened is government and large corporations have mutually infiltrated each other and they're hard to tell apart now. So neither of them are elected. <laughs> neither of them are there because of their skills. They're basically un, unusually um, stupid individuals. Okay. Um, this is so the smart people who run companies and create things and invent things and so on. None of them believe this stuff. And as you push upwards, I believe what's going to happen is this it'll eventually just get to the point where actually the corporations just stop complying with all these things that governments have asked them to do. And so in South Africa, whereas we saw the large corporations basically doing the bidding of the government and implementing all the financial controls that were had nothing to do with eliminating crime and everything to do with eliminating freedoms, the KYCs and the FICAs and so on. Um, yeah. The BE, Black Economic Empowerment, uh, um, and now the COVID lockdowns. Mm. Nick, um, time is very, very much running against us. Sorry, sorry, I've got, to, I've got to cut you off because we don't have enough time to continue. But I quickly want to 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 find out how I can follow you. You can follow me on Twitter at or on X as it's called these days on at Nick Hudson. Sorry, at Nick Hudson CT, and you can follow Panda uh, under the handle at at Pandata19, and then our website is pandata.org, and the Substack articles, which I'd recommend people to look at, Panda Uncut is the name of the channel. Um, is Panda still going to be relevant? I mean, we have to have another pandemic. <laughs> uh, no, we've just dropped the pandemics from the title. It's just affectionately known as Panda or Pandata, and we're going after the politics now. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, nice. Nice, nice evolution there, gradually. <laughs> yeah. All right, Nick Hudson, thank you for joining me in the trenches, my friend. Always nice chatting to you. Thanks a lot, Jim. It's a great pleasure. Thank you, Alex and uh, Joel, who are uh, making me sound somewhat okay and look somewhat okay. Uh, all your complaints can can go to germwarfare at tnt I'll catch you tomorrow. My name is Jim. This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Mm-hmm.